Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Light of Life podcast. I'm your host, Naomi, and today I'm here with Adriana. Adriana, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi Naomi, thank you for having me and hello to all the listeners. My name is Adriana Cowden. I am a um, retired, I like to say, corporate marketing executive, although I still own and run a rather busy digital marketing agency. Um, and probably one of the most unique things about me is that I live with 10 diseases and have had almost 30 surgeries and procedures in the last five or six years. Um, so I have learned to live life in, the, life in the face of adversity for sure. Wow, thank you, Adriana. And so, yes, you live with multiple different chronic illnesses, yeah. type 1 diabetes, pancreatitis, Addison's disease, hypopituitary, hypothyroid, osteoporosis, celiac, and gastroparesis. Um, I have so many questions. And my first question is, do any of your chronic illnesses affect one another? That is such a good question. They absolutely do. So in two cases in particular, um, chronic pancreatitis, I had two very radical surgeries. three years apart, both lasting about 14 hours each. The last one was where they removed my pancreas and did a transplant into my liver um, with cells. And so that is what rendered me a diabetic. And I'm actually type 3C, but no one actually understands what that means. It's totally different. It's most similar to one, so I'm insulin dependent. Um, So yes, the pancreatitis eroded my pancreas to the point where it had to be removed and that made me diabetic. Um, The other one is the Addison's disease. To treat that, I take prednisone every day. And I've had that disease for probably 20 plus years now. Um, And what that does is it weakens your bones. And so although I'm only 46, almost 47, I have had osteoporosis pretty bad for the last six or seven years um, just because of the chronic prednisone, chronic steroid usage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm so curious with your chronic illnesses, were you born with any of them or did they all develop over time? They all developed over time. And ironically, no one in my family has any of these. My family has a history of cancer and a history of heart conditions. Um, I have no heart condition and knock on wood, I don't have cancer yet. Um, So my family just has never had anything that is stomach related or pancreas or I also have mild liver disease. They've never had liver. Um, I'm the only one with pituitary issues and thyroid and uh, Addison's and I mean, paralyzed stomach. I just, no one in my family has ever had any of these. I will say they diagnosed in 2016, they diagnosed the reason for chronic pancreatitis in me in particular is something called pancreatic divism. And that's basically how your how your organs or your bile ducts form when you're in the womb. So they technically call that a birth defect, which my mom took very hard. But it's akin to like one child coming out blonde and the next one coming out brunette. There's literally nothing you can do to either avoid your child, your baby having this, or or I, I don't know why you want to give it to them. But there's nothing you can do. There's no, no way to change it. Um, however, in 2019. The reason for the second surgery is because they they went in and resected everything in 2016 and re, re, rewired, repiped me, I like to say. 
and it didn't work. And so in 2019, they said, we actually think we have an underlying genetic disorder that is causing this, um, but they've never been able to pinpoint it to anything. Wow. Wow. Um, so um, since, since they all developed over time, I'm so curious, like, um, was, um, did, uh, did some develop all at once or, or was it just over a few years they all developed? So they um, started developing in my 20s. Um, my late 20s was when I was diagnosed with um, pituitary, uh, Addison's, thyroid, and then gastroparesis. Um, and I think it was in my late 30s, yeah, late 30s, maybe I was 40, when I got um, diagnosed with pancreatic disease. Um, the liver disease came two years later diabetes came after that, osteoporosis came after that, um, celiac came after that. So most of them have developed in the last seven years or so. Um, and it's just strange, they're not, you know, other than the two I mentioned, they're not necessarily correlated. And so it just seems like my body gets all wired funky in one area and then it sends something off different in another area. Wow. And like you have undergone more than 25 operations within the last five years. What was your experience like needing to have so many operations in such a short amount of time? Well, to, I like to say two things. One, I have a hugely supportive husband who was a boyfriend at the time and then fiance and now husband um, that literally made arrangements with his company way before the pandemic style to work from the hospital every day I was there. So with the exception of two nights, I was never alone in the hospital without him. Um, and that's pretty remarkable because I spent literally over a year in the hospital in those five years. Um, the second is I didn't have a lot of choice. So for example, with the Whipple, um, I, I came in urgently because I was very, very sick again with a pancreatitis, what they call flare-up or attack, and they hospitalized me, very common, and they came in the day after I was in the hospital, the day after I got admitted, and sat down on my side of my bed and said, you have to have a surgery called the Whipple. Um, we're going to give you a couple hours to look up everything and ask all your questions, um, and we'll be back. And I said, okay. And Eric and I, my husband and I, started Googling. And that is a good way of scaring yourself. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's a surgery where they remove most of your small intestine, most of your stomach, your bile duct, your gallbladder, and then most of your pancreas. So it's, it's a radical surgery. It is not common um, and is very dangerous. Uh, and the other thing is only 25% of people live five years out. And so we looked and like, there's no record of anyone having lived 10 years out, for example. And so when the doctors came back in, we asked, I think we had like 45 questions. We asked all these questions and I was like, okay, well, what's next? And he's like, well, I understand you had all those questions, but you either have this or you're going to die in the next two weeks. And I was like, well, then why was the point? What was the point of letting me research this? Like, I don't have any choice. So, um, so yeah, so I, I was literally life or death. Um, and that's been how most of my surgeries have been. They have been either life or death or they have been um, the only way I can get out of the hospital. So I had another surgery in August of 2019 and um, 
there was no option to do anything other than do surgery. And then of course I'm in the hospital for a couple of weeks recovering. And um, with um, all the amount of time you spent in the hospital, um, what was um, what was what was the most challenging part of physical rehabilitation? That's a great question. Um, after the Whipple in 2016, I had it December 15th of 2016. Uh, for the next 18 months, uh, I was going through just an enormous amount of physical rehab. So I came home and was bedridden for two months. Uh, I had to have 24-hour care. So I have my family is in Argentina, my dad's side. My aunt flew up and moved in with us for six months. Um, as I got stronger, I could maybe walk to the kitchen um, or to the bathroom on my own. And so that took maybe three months. Then it took another six months where I was wheelchair bound. Um, and then the six months after that, I was in physical rehab because I was in good enough shape to be. And I will never forget, it was like, I started walking one minute on the treadmill and I thought I was gonna die, one minute. And it just felt like an eternity. Um, and everything, everything I did just hurt terribly. So um, that, that recovery physically was very, very difficult. Um, the other thing is I, because of this disease, it's very hard to eat. It is very painful and you have extreme amounts of nausea and vomiting from pancreatitis. And so I had lost enormous amounts of weight. I was down to like 83 pounds and living on feeding tubes, um, which is not what anyone wants to do. And then at times when the feeding tubes didn't work, I would be hospitalized for malnutrition or what they call failure to thrive. Um, and so when you go through that, your body is so weak, it can't even produce you know, saliva, for example. You have, you're on drips all the time because you can't even produce your own saliva, nothing. Um, you really have a long road back. But I will tell you, walking became my favorite thing as soon as I got out of that wheelchair. I mean, as soon as you figure out, hey, I'm not wheelchair bound anymore, I have these yeah. legs, I'm going to use them. And so even now it's like snowing terribly today, I'll go out for like a 30 minute walk. I just love it. Um, and now uh, I would say now I'm in the best shape I've been in in the past five or six years. I exercise with a trainer that's specialized in chronic illness and injuries. Um, I exercise with her three times a week. And then two times a week, I typically go walking which, I mean, I walked a 5K this past uh, fall and that was like yeah. a, a huge accomplishment, yeah. huge accomplishment. You know, some people go out and walk that for a regular daily walk. But for me where, you know, I was just wheelchair bound for so long and started out at one minute at a time, it was definitely a, an achievement. Oh my gosh, wow. This is, this is so inspiring uh, to hear your story. Um, I'm sure it, it, it when um, um, it must feel so liberating when, when, when you get those physical ability, abilities back uh, that you haven't had for so long. It, it feels, yeah. it, it, it's the best feeling, isn't it? <laughs> it, it really is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to you in that way. Um, I, I went into heart failure when I was 14 and um, I did not have really any energy to walk or stand for very long and mm -hmm. so um, but when I got an open heart surgery that uh, fixed 
um, the hole in my heart, then I was able to have lots of energy and I could, and I, and I was able to walk again. And so I totally uh, re relate to you on that level. <laughs> I remember shortly after I had one of those surgeries, well, for actually for most of the time of those years, it would take me about two and a half hours just to shower and blow dry my hair and put on the littlest mm -hmm. bit of makeup. And then I would have to go take a nap because I was so exhausted from just showering and getting dressed that I had no energy left. So if I had to go somewhere, which I, I, I now call myself unreliable because I never know when a tax is going to come on and I have to cancel plans. But um, if I have to go somewhere, I usually have to start four hours ahead of time. Um, I used to have to start four hours ahead of time. So two and a half hours to all that, two hours to rest and then get going. Now it's more, I'm more what I would call normal. You know, I get up maybe 30 minutes before I have to start getting ready because I'm kind of, my body is very slow to wait. Um, and then it takes me maybe 45 minutes to get ready. And then I, I go right into work. Um, but I will say, probably around now, around 11.45 a.m., that's what it is where I am. I start getting really tired again. And so I push through, but I typically do not take meetings after 2 p.m. because I am wiped out. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not like other people were like, oh, take a 30-minute cat nap. My body is so wiped out that I take like a two-hour nap every day. Mm -hmm. Like, it just, it, it won't go any further. It's just done. Yeah. Yeah, there's... So I can totally relate to that no energy feeling. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah, with, with, with certain chronic illnesses, uh, sometimes you just don't have any energy to, uh, to, to have. You don't have like as much energy as other people. And... Uh, and um, while we're on this topic, I'm curious how, um, while while you were living with these uh, chronic illnesses and like during these like uh, uh, during all these times, you had all these medical complications with them, uh, and you did not have like much energy. How um, uh, how did you feel about like um, um, about not having like a, a a lot of energy compared to other people yeah I I'll credit my husband and my aunt with this one they both were always like don't worry honey you'll get through this you'll be back to yourself in no time and um I've never been someone to really wallow in like self-pity or like poor me or why me or any of that we all have our moments I'm not perfect <laughs> like we all have our moments of like why why am I dealing with this what did I do wrong that that, that I gave all of this to to my body um, but they were really good about keeping my mentality looking forward and saying okay well I'll I'll get back out there you know like I'll someday I'll be out of this wheelchair someday I will be able to you know get ready in less than two and a half hours someday I'll be able to get ready and not have to take a two hour nap right away um, I would say the other thing is they're really good about and my whole support system is about me being really careful with my boundaries so there was a time last year where I thought I could work. I used to, I was an executive at a fortune uh, 25 company, a $40 billion retailer. Um, and I would work like a hundred hours a week, no problem. And so um, there was a time last year where I completely forgot that it's not the case anymore. Um, and for like three days in a row, I tried working like 14, 16 hour days. And I literally ended up in the hospital for a week and a half. My body just couldn't take it. Um, and I blame myself for that because your body does send you signals. You know, it's, it's up to you to listen to them, but it absolutely sends you signals. 
And so I just kept ignoring everything my body was saying and everything my community was saying and thought I thought I could do better. <laughs> thought I knew better. <laughs> I did not. Is there anything else you would like to share? Um, I would just say, you know, pancreatitis is a very underfunded, under-researched um, organ. Pancreas is the organ because there is such a low survival rate with pancreatic cancer. And because pancreatitis, there isn't, there are no drugs um, to really treat it. You, some, you, you address the symptoms. So you're on copious amounts of narcotics. And I think I take, I'm not on those anymore, but I take probably six nausea medications a day. And um, so I would say if anyone is interested in either learning more or supporting the, the research and funding, go to pancreasfoundation.org. That's the National Pancreas Foundation. And, um, I sit on the board there now, and I serve as a patient advocate to lobby Congress and the FDA. Um, and so, you know, 93 cents of every dollar goes directly to programs, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and so I would just encourage people to support the pancreas research and work that the NPF is doing and go to pancreasfoundation.org and either become a volunteer or make a donation. Thank you for that information. Uh, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Uh, this was a really inspiring story. I feel really inspired by you, Adriana. Thank you. <laughs>